So um, this is week two, uh, and um, the four commitments we were asking you to make, commitment to unity, a commitment to the reputation of Christ, a commitment to being led, how are we governed here in our church? Uh, we are elder rule. We'll talk about that week four. And then week uh, five and six, we spent a lot of time on this because it's so important, a commitment to loving the church. What is, what is your responsibility as a member to, to the body of Christ out there uh, and here? Uh, what is your responsibility? How are you to respond? So that will be week five and six. So um, this morning uh, we're on unity, and I just let me just throw this out there. Give me some things that would, that would be done in a church that would just blow unity up, uh, that could really disrupt unity. What are some of those? Just off the top of your head. Gossip. Gossip. Huge. Yeah, Jerry used to say one of the words for the devil is slanderer. And I remember him saying many times, you're never more like the devil when you are slandering other people. You are a slanderer. So gossip, yes. What else? Anything else? No? Duplicity. Duplicity. Tell us what you mean by that, Kent. So, okay. Hypocritical living, yeah, um, that could certainly cause uh, disunity in the church. People see you at church and they think you're one thing, they see you out there, like, wait a minute, what? And then, and then gossip starts, you know, rather than doing the right thing, which we talk about in week three, going to the person and saying, look, I saw you do this, what's going on? That's how you deal with apparent sin after you take the log out of your own eye, but that's another class. Anything else? Say it again. Bitterness. Bitterness. Yeah. Yeah. How, how so? Give me an example, Anna. What? Do you, what, what, um, what? Yes. Even in the church, happens all the time. Um, people say or do something. Um, it's either something intentional or something misunderstood. And rather than going to the person and talking to them about it and dealing with it, you develop a bitterness. And what does the Bible say about bitterness? It doesn't stay with you spills out over everything and you become an angry person and uh, and that's where gossip starts uh, you start talking about people um, we had a situation speaking of bitterness of, of a young actually uh, two older believers um, one of whom held uh, a grudge against the other um, we knew about it uh, we, we encouraged them to talk thought they perhaps had but hadn't and it wasn't until another life event occurred in this guy's life who was bitter where he realized I got to take care of this and he went and apologized to that person asked their forgiveness they extended forgiveness and all those years of hanging on to that he realized what a total waste of time that was and energy um, bitterness anything else Lack of accountability? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk a lot about that uh, later, but um, yeah, lack of discipline. Uh, if, you're not, if you're undisciplined in your own life, it's, it's going uh, to be a problem. Your heart is um, maybe more self-righteous than you think it should be. Self-righteousness, of course, is a sin, but you, you begin to think of yourself highly even though you're not disciplined and staying in the Word for the right reasons, to love Jesus, and, um, and self-righteousness can, can permeate and just yuck, it's so gross. Uh, and, and there's no grace in the heart of the people. Um, legalism? Legalism, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a desire to try to please God through your own efforts. Um, and don't think Christians can't do that, we do it all the time. Um, you know, I had a devotion today, Lord. I'm, I'm better today than I was yesterday. It's legalism. It's like a, it's a form of it. You're, you're trying to please God after Christ has already done everything He needs to do. No, uh, it's, it should be a matter of, Lord, I, I can't wait to spend time with you this morning um, just to grow in my understanding of who you are. Not, not a check mark, but legalism. But legal, legalism in the, in the pure sense of the word is people trying to earn their way to heaven. Um, and that's what Paul deals with in, in uh, Galatians, uh, that legalistic attitude. Anything else? I think we're good there. 
Well, all of those things are true. All of those things can cause disunity, but one of, one of the other ways that disunity is, occurs is through doctrine. Um, people have uh, their pet doctrines and they want to get on their soapbox and start preaching about their pet doctrines. And we've had this occur many, many years ago. We had a small group that became kind of a church unto itself. And the leader, who's no longer here, the leader um, just started um, rumblings about how wrong the elders were on their particular set of beliefs. And it created a whole group over here who were now looking at everybody else with you know, kind of a slanted eye. Oh, maybe they are wrong. See, that's disunity. It's, it's so of the devil. And we're going to talk about how not to do that right now. So um, there has to be agreement in our church, and this is part of what we're asking for you as members, on the fundamentals, the fundamentals. We're going to talk about second tier and third tier beliefs. Not so much there, but the fundamentals are absolutely essential. And uh, Al Mohler calls them uh, first order truths. He says, these first order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, and a denial of these doctrines represent nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. That's true. Um, some of these first order truths of the faith we will be discussing are the authority and inerrancy of the Bible, uh, who is God and how has He manifested Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how is a person made right with God, regeneration, how do you get saved? Those are some of the fundamentals, but if we get those wrong, you're denying Christianity. Years ago, I sat across the table from a young man who was actually helping me in college and career, and um, we got to talking about uh, uh, one of the things he started to believe that was drifting. And, and I said, this, look, it's so clear right here that what you're saying is not true. I mean, there are some things that are gray, some things that are hard. This is not one of them. This is crystal clear. And if you're willing to say that's not true, I know what you're saying about the Bible. You're saying it's not authoritative. You're saying it's not true. That's what you're saying. And I said, I fear, I fear for what's ahead for you and what's ahead for your family. And everything I predicted came true um, because he left the fundamental of whether or not the Bible was true and whether it was authoritative in his life. So those are super important. Those are first order categories. If we get those wrong, um, we're denying Christianity itself. And then Al Mohler goes on to say, who is Al Mohler, by the way? Anybody know who he is? <laughs> He's the president of Southern Seminary. Yeah. Um, he was the youngest president, uh, I think, they ever had when he first started. Now he's been there 30 years or plus, I don't know. Uh, Al Muller is the president of Southern Seminary. He's also a, a, a spokesman often for evangelicalism. You'll hear him on a lot of talk shows, even secular. When they want a viewpoint from the evangelical point of view, Al Muller will, will speak. I saw him once on a flight from a Shepherds Conference many, many years ago, or Resolve Conference. I think it was for college and career. And uh, he was in the seat, uh, two seats in front of me. That guy had a stack of magazines like this. I am not exaggerating. And he's, he, I, he turns the page and he's going, I mean, guy, the, the mind was incredible. Um, I, w I was told, you know, his legend is big, that he has a huge library. And somebody said, pull a book off a shelf and he'll tell you what's on page 435. You know, he's just got a photographic memory. So he's a really smart guy. If you don't listen to his podcast, he has one every day. He gets up like 5 in the morning. Have you heard it, Kent? What's it called? The Briefing. The Briefing. Um, and, and he talks about Christianity related to uh, uh, cultural issues primarily. Uh, how it affects cultural religion. So if, he's a great resource. Anyway, so Al Mohler characterizes, uh, categorizes second-order issues as doctrines that do not call into question somebody's salvation, but over which there is good faith disagreement that, in, that might inhibit, usually does, fellowshipping together in the same congregation. And some of those issues might be um, mode of baptism, um, infant baptism, or believer's baptism. Some people would say, I can't worship in a church that believes in infant baptism and vice versa. I do know people that are at Twin Oaks PC, which is a PCA church that are that is infant baptism, who do not believe in infant baptism, but that's not enough to keep them from being there. Um, so sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. 
then there's others. Um, women's ordination. Can women be uh, pastors? We would say it's clear. We believe clear in the Bible that no, the answer is no. Um, but some would hold to that view, and if they did, they probably wouldn't feel comfortable here, uh, not in time. Um, and then church government, and that's another one. How, how are you governed? Uh, how many of you guys came from a Southern Baptist background? Southern Baptist. Uh, my son is in a Southern Baptist church. We talk about this stuff all the time. Um, Southern Baptists have congregation rule, elder-led. We are elder rule, congregation led. I wouldn't even say led. We, on occasion, when we are, are really needing input from our members, we always pick the brains of various people in our church that might have an expertise in an area. We don't. So we're never closed off like that. But to bring it to the entire congregation doesn't happen very often. Occasionally it does. Uh, we had a meeting, what, last Friday or a couple of Fridays ago where just told you guys what we were thinking, what we're doing, where we're headed, and asked you primarily to pray. Um, and things are developing on that front. Uh, hopefully, you know, we'll have more. Um, but right now we don't. But that's, so that's another area where people... Uh, might say, I can't, I can't be here. If I don't have a say, you know, and uh, Southern Baptists are known for people who don't go to church ever, and then they find out there's a, a vote, and they show up, and they make their voice heard, and they have as much power to vote as the guy who's there every single Sunday. That's where my son and I have a problem. <laughs> no, no, that's not, that's not the way it should be run. But he would argue back, well, that's not the way you deal with your membership they call through their membership all the time. And if they haven't seen people for eight, nine, ten weeks, they call them, say, what's going on? And if the person says, I'm just done, I don't want to go to church anymore, they will make that known to the congregation. This person has left. Um, they no longer want to be a member, and they're off the roll, so they cannot come in. So that's, you know, and Mark Dever, how many of you heard of Mark Dever? Uh, nine Marks Ministry, we even use Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. We've used it here. Uh, Mark Dever, Southern Baptist, he would argue in, uh, stringently in favor of congregation rule because he said if you do it right, if you teach your people well, um, it's, it's just like having elder rule because they understand. I would argue it took you 25 years to get there. <laughs> Most churches don't have that much time. Uh, that's, to me, the tail wagging the dog. So anyway, those are second-order issues. And, um, and, and Mueller says, and it's true, many of the most heated disagreements among serious believers take place at the second order level. Uh, for these issues frame our understanding of the church and its ordering by the Word of God. And that's certainly been true for my son and I. We love each other dearly, and I have great respect for him. Call him all the time. Had a counseling situation. He has a counseling background. And I, I said, can you help me out here? And he came up with five questions to ask the person right off the top of his head. So I, I ask him, you know, we talk back and forth, but we do disagree on this. Third order issues. Now, this is where, you know, it gets rough. Now, this is, actually, <laughs> this can be the source of the most discussion, like end times, right? How many of you had discussions about the end times? Uh, you know, what's going to happen? That's called eschatology. That's a, that would be a third order issue. Uh, end times uh, probably, de de I think, definitely falls into that category. Strongly held opinions may exist, but love and charity toward one another must prevail. Uh, again, my son and I have these differing views. You know, we're dispensationalists here. We do believe we're, we're going to be raptured out. We, we believe that. Um, I, you know, um, I'm willing to be taught otherwise, and he and I talk all the time. And, I, I don't like what they do with the nation of Israel. Um, you know, they make them all one, and I, I don't like that. And, you know, so we, we talk about that stuff. But that's stuff you can talk about and still be in the same church. Uh, we've had people teach in a quip class who had strong views differing from ours, and it's okay. We're fine with that as long as they don't make it their soapbox. And, and most of them, all of them that have taught, have been very humble about that and said, never, I would never do that. Um, because we all know we have areas where we could be wrong. So I would never do that and hurt God's church. So those are first, second, third order um, uh, issues. Uh, one thing I would uh, bring to your mind is the relationship that John MacArthur had with R.C. Sproul. R.C.'s gone on to be with the Lord. R.C. Sproul is Presbyterian. MacArthur's not. 
and they clashed on baptism all the time and often in funny ways. Um, I remember hearing that MacArthur went to R.C.'s church and in his pulpit said, R.C., why don't you just complete the Reformation here and let's start with, uh, with believer's baptism. In the pulpit, he said that. And R.C.'s like, I can't believe you took my pulpit. You know, but that's the kind of banter they had. And I loved it because it was a good example to all of us to be able to have these sharp disagreements and yet love each other. Those two locked arms for the sake of the gospel in beautiful ways um, for the preservation of, of, of the gospel. Christ alone, uh, by faith alone, and grace alone. Uh, they just were, um, they were warriors together, and yet they could banter, you know. And, and uh, so that's, that's a good example. So we believe it's right and fair for you to know our doctrinal positions before you decide to join us. And likewise, if you do decide to join us, it's only right and fair for you to humbly submit to the teaching here. And should you have a different view on a third order issue or even a mode of baptism, um, you commit to speak evil of no one, Titus 3.2. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. I skipped over some of those verses that I think are in your book on the, the importance of preserving unity. Um, can't stress it enough. The enemy will come into this church. We're doing really well as elders we know. It's just a matter of time because we're, uh, we're preaching the word. Now, take us out. He's going to try his best. Um, he's going to leave churches alone that aren't. Um, they'll do their thing. He's fine with that. They've already messed up. They've, le they've left the Word of God. We have not. So we know it's coming. We just have to be diligent and aware, and so do you. Uh, so do you. So, yeah, if you ever uh, hear, whoops, if you ever hear of people that are, um, you know, getting on their soapbox, would you please take that up and just say, you know, brother, sister, Probably not a smart thing to do. Certainly not a godly thing to do. Uh, if you really have a serious doctrinal difference, go to the elders. Go talk to them. I mean, you know, our doors, by the way, always open. Uh, we have elders meetings um, second Tuesday of every month, right in this room, from about 5 until 10. Um, and we invite people who want to come and speak to us. Uh, we give them a time to do that. So anytime you want to do that, you just have to contact one of us or contact Sarah. Uh, Bruce Scheidhauer is the one who kind of runs the meetings and he sticks to the schedule. So he's probably the guy you need to talk to and he'll schedule you in if you ever want to come. We are, we are an open book. Um, you can come in and talk to us about anything or any one of us uh, is fine too. Okay. Uh, just so you know, the booklet, Discovering NCC, that you have in front of you has some of what we're about to cover. You can see more of it on the website, but let's just, uh, let's just get started. Um, also, I, I would recommend uh, MacArthur just came out with a systematic theology book, uh, I think less than a year ago, maybe two years ago. Um, and um, it's pretty simple to read if you want just to go through it yourself. It's about a thousand pages, but covers all all the theology and in, in uh, more in depth. Um, I, I started it, I got through about page 100, so I have 90% uh, more. <laughs> It'll be a while. Um, so let's start with the Bible because uh, we strive to ensure everything we teach and do as a church is grounded in and faithful to the Word of God. Uh, if you've been here for uh, more than two weeks, you know that. Um, it's our only fully trustworthy and sufficient authority. Uh, the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired, without error. I believe all of this, at least in a summary form, is in your book. Um, it's without error in the original manuscripts. It was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It has supreme and sole authority in all matters of faith and conduct. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, there's no better sanctification booklet than the Bible. Uh, that's how you'll be honed 
into the image of Christ. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the greatest argument for believing that the Bible is true and without error is the testimony of Christ himself. Uh, Jesus said, thy word, your word is truth, John 17, 17. Scripture cannot be broken, he said in another place, John 10. And further, he said in Matthew 5, 18, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus believed, this is important because liberal theologians, I, I appeal to them and say, is Jesus your Savior? Yes. Okay, so he's your Savior, but you doubt his word. Well, I guess I do. Okay, that's a problem because you're going to stand before him. Uh, if your Savior's not reliable where he speaks, that's a problem. And Jesus believed and referred to many of the Old Testament stories and characters as historical fact. Uh, the creation of the universe. Uh, Adam and Eve, they weren't, they weren't fictional people. Uh, the fall of man, Noah and the flood, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, refer to all of them. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Jonah, uh, Jonah and the whale, the prophets, King David, he quoted extensively from the Psalms. Um, that's Jesus. So to reject the authority of the Bible is to reject the authority of Christ himself. Um, Kevin DeYoung put it this way in his book, Taking God at His Word, which we went through during Forge. Um, and Forge, by the way, uh, for those of you guys that don't know, um, is a Bible study we have on Friday mornings at 6.30. Um, uh, 6.30 to 7.30, usually Rich teaches it. Last week it was Jerry. And we're going through a book on sanctification this, this um, summer series, and then we'll pick up the theology again uh, in, this, in the fall. But The Forge, we went through this book, uh, Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word. We went through it, a, I don't know, a year ago. Um, anybody remember? Were you there, Handy? I don't know. For Taking God at His Word? Yeah, Kevin, I, it was about a year ago. And um, so if you want to come, you guys, well, when we first started this thing, we thought, ah, maybe 20 guys will show up. First day, 80 guys. 80 guys were here at 6.30 in the morning, and it's grown to 100, and summer's tapered off a little bit, but it'll pick right back up. So you men, if you want to come, this is a great way to come. You have, we have small groups for half an hour, either before or after the 6.30 to 7.30 period. Uh, good way to get to know some of the men, and a great way to learn theology if you're willing to get up that early. And uh, I'm glad I'm retired, because I can go home and take a nap, unlike many people. All right, so Kevin, Kevin DeYoung said, Jesus believed Scripture was the Word of God, and as such, it would be gross impiety to think that any word spoken by God or committed to writing by God might be an errant word, a wrong word, or a broken word. Well said. If you haven't read that book, Taking God at His Word, it is really good. It's a simple read. It's not hard. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a Mark Drinker Pentateuch book. It's 15,000 pages. It's not that. This is an easy read, uh, taking God at His Word. It'll increase your faith in the Word of God. So our beliefs. We teach that there may be several applications of any given passage of Scripture, but there's only one intended meaning and true interpretation. And admittedly, sometimes that interpretation is difficult to find. You know, Rich spends all week, um, hours uh, to study in order to bring us what he believes is the right interpretation, the authorial intent of the, what is the author's intent? That's what he's digging for, trying to figure out. Um, now, I do believe that much of the Bible, 80% maybe, uh, is something you can read, understand it. You don't need a degree. It's easy to apply, but there are some areas where you really need to dig and, uh, and you need to apply Principles of hermeneutics, that's a big word, simply means how to study the Bible, hermeneutics. And uh, that's what Rich does. He uses the literal principle, grammatical, historical method of biblical interpretation, um, and hopefully appealing to the Holy Spirit all along the way, help me understand what you wrote. Um, and then he brings it to us, and he brings it to us in a clear and articulate way. Um, John 16, 12, and 13 says, I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. This is Jesus. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. It is the responsibility of believers to carefully ascertain the true intent, the authorial intent. What does the author mean? What did he intend? What do you mean by what he said? And the meaning of Scripture, recognizing that proper application is binding on all generations. And uh, this gentleman I was telling you about uh, earlier who kind of walked away from the truth of the Word of God was saying that God's moral mandates regarding human sexuality didn't apply to us today. And I said, no, 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 no. They apply across time. Uh, it's clear. Um, but it was a... It was a, just an excuse uh, not to be accountable. Um, so the Trinity, that's the Bible, the Trinity. Obviously, there's far more I could say. And that's why I mentioned the book, MacArthur's Systematic Theology book. You'll get a lot more in there. Uh, we have some more on our website. There is one living and true God, eternally existent in three persons, and these persons are equal in every divine perfection as they execute providence and redemption. Um, Matthew 28, 19 says, and this is where the three uh, members of the Trinity are mentioned, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, na in the name singular of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And again in Mark 1, at the baptism of Christ, Mark says, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open, being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The dove, the, uh, Jesus, the son, and the father speaking. Other verses you can reference where they're together. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 2, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. I won't go through those. And I'd be the first to admit, um, anybody in here says to me, they understand the Trinity, um, I will say, well, you just sinned. That's called a lie. <laughs> because... Nobody understands the Trinity. I, I don't understand it all. People try to come up with illustrations. You know, water comes in three forms, gas, solid, uh, liquid. They all fall short of the magnificence of the Trinity. Now, we, we simply, as one man said, you try to figure it out, you'll wind up under a bed saying the Greek alphabet backwards. That was very funny. I liked it. I've used it often. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's meant to be. He's God. Let God be God. We're not God. So we let God be as He has chosen to reveal Himself, whether or not your mind can grasp it. That's called faith, and that's called humility. I don't understand it. I do believe it. I do believe it. Uh, God the Father, theology proper. Um, when you see that term, theology proper, you go, okay, yeah, it's proper to study theology. What is that? No, it just means the study of God the Father. That's all it means. God the Father is an infinite, personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. We believe that He concerns Himself mercifully in the affairs of men, that He hears and answers prayer, and that He saves from sin and death all who come to Him through Jesus Christ. A uh, number of verses there, but perhaps the most well-known. You see it on football games all the time, John 3.16. Um, it clearly shows how God has concerned Himself and inserted Himself into the affairs of men. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the Father intervenes. Um, we did recently go through a study of theology proper in the Forge, and we went through Christology, which is uh, the study of Christ. We will be doing the study of the Holy Spirit, which is pneumatology, uh, like pneumonia, PN. Um, um, so that's the study of the Holy Spirit. We will be doing that also in the Forge. Uh, this is meant to be over a three or four year period, kind of a, a mini semin uh, seminary experience. Um, Rich is dedicated to, to training us, the men, uh, in these areas because if you're trained well in these areas and you really understand them, you're applying them, you'll be the leaders God has called you to be. And men, we are called to be leaders. You may not like it, it's, but it's, it's yours. God has given it to you. I just met a guy the other day and uh, he was with his girlfriend. I said, my friend, you are not 
stepping up. You're the man in this relationship. God calls you to lead, so you better start doing it because you're not doing a good job. I can tell by what she's saying. You're not doing a good job. Step up. So men, this is a way to do it. You want to learn how to be a good leader? Come to this. Come to the forge. And there's other ways, of course. Um, start meeting with other guys. But step up. Um, you are the leader whether you like it or not. So anyway, just another plug for the forge. Um, Christology, God the Son. Uh, Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in His virgin birth, His sinless death, miracles, teaching. We believe in His substitutionary, atoning death, bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for His people, and His personal, visible return to earth. I can't wait. Can you? <laughs> I mean, I'm really looking forward to that day. Um, I have dreams about it all the time. Um, yeah, when Lynn and I kid each other all the time. Um, her, on her, in her dreams, she's flying around uh, a store on a, on a witch's broomstick yelling at people because they're in her way. <laughs> she woke up and told me that. We were laughing so hard. Uh, uh, my dreams are a little bit heavier. <laughs> I'm dreaming Christ is in the air. I'm screaming at people. You've got to give your life to him right now. You've got about two seconds. Uh, that's the, my dreams. And I wake up in a sweat, you know. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's going to make things right. Uh, we believe he's going to pull us out early. Um, yeah, I told my son Josh, I know he, does, he believes we'll, we'll go at the end of the tribulation. I said, you can believe that. And I do a study of the tribulation. You'll want to believe what I'm saying. Um, uh, I said, but when we go up together... Uh, you know, I'm going to say I told you so, but I'm not sure what difference it'll make. We'll all be so happy we're out of here. You know, um, I know people sometimes say, yeah, man, we're going through the tribulation. I do say to them, just like talking about hell flippantly, I don't like that. Uh, hell is not an air. It's not something you joke about. It's not something you talk about flippantly. It's eternal torment and fire, Luke 16. It's not, it's horrible. So we don't want to be flippant about that. And we don't want to be flippant about the second coming uh, or the tribulation. It's not hell because it's temporary, but people that are living it are going to think it is because it's not going to be fun. It's going to be really, really hard, tremendous persecution. Uh, but there are some be believers today who think they're living it now, uh, who are sitting rotten in a jail cell because of their faith all over the world. We have more martyrs in this century than were in the first. Uh, we just don't hear that much about them, uh, but that's true. So, you know, who are we to think that we won't get some kind of persecution? I think we will, as this country especially tanks. Um, some verses regarding the deity of Christ, John 1, 1, uh, John 20, 28, where Jesus bows to Jesus, uh, where Thomas bows to Jesus and he says, what, do you remember what he says? He bows to him and says, my Lord and my God. This is doubting Thomas. Um, Jesus said, here, feel, feel the nail prints in my wrists and my side. Feel them. Um, don't doubt anymore. And then Jesus made a comment about you guys. He said, um, you, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And that's us. So he made a comment. Thank you, Thomas, uh, for bringing that out of Jesus. But for Thomas to get down and say, my Lord and my God, you know how blasphemous that is? That is utterly blasphemous for him to say that. Unless it's true. And Jesus didn't say, get up. I'm just a man. He didn't say that. Uh, and then one of the strongest, in my opinion, uh, declarations of the divinity of Jesus is Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Um, what a beautiful statement mind-boggling statement. There are other instances where Jesus received freely worship, again, which would have been utterly blasphemous, people bowing to him, um, loving him. In John 8, 58, Jesus declared that he was the great I am. That blew the minds of the Pharisees. Are you kidding me? The great I am of the Old Testament? You? And what did they do? Anybody remember? What did they do in reaction? Picked up stones to kill him. 
which was the right reaction had it not been true. It was the absolute right reaction. He would have been absolutely blaspheming God to say that. So those are some really clear verses on the divinity of Christ, which I've used often when we talk with any Jehovah's Witnesses or even Mormons that come to our door. I don't see as many these days. At least I haven't. Have you guys? I haven't seen them in a long time. You see them all the time. I guess we scared them all away. Or maybe they marked our, our house, you know. Don't go here. I don't know. Um, okay, so the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology, P-N-E-U, like pneumonia. That's terrible analogy. But anyway, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who came forth from the Father and the Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So before you became a Christian, it was the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, telling you you were a sinner. I, 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 he was doing that for me because I was immoral and I was uh, sleeping with my girlfriend and he was pulling on my heart. Mm-mm. Mm -mm. Cre creating in me a, a sense of my need for Christ. That was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it, that he was doing that, but that's his, that was his job and he was doing it well in my life. And also that there's a coming judgment. He also came to regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that he is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. We believe that by faith. I don't feel him. He's there. How do you know? The Word of God. It's authoritative. He's there. He's guiding. Ask Him to help you. We believe that speaking in tongues, the miraculous ability to speak in a foreign, intelligible, known language, and the working of sign miracles through certain selected individuals has gradually ceased having achieved their divine purpose. And that divine purpose was to authenticate the apostles and uh, the waiting of the, the Word of God being complete, the canon scripture. We believe these sign gifts ended with the completion of the canon, having completed their divine purpose. But of course, don't get me wrong, hear me clearly. Could God give Kent Dean the ability to speak Italian in a certain situation to preach the gospel, maybe on an island off Italy, to people who were perishing? Could he do that? Of course he could. Does he do it regularly? No. Uh, I've not heard of a missionary. You hear these stories. You know, there are always these stories out there. Not heard that ever happening. But could he? Of course he could. We don't deny that. It's just not his purposes, not now. And the same is true for um, people who say they're healers. We all see them on TV. Uh, honestly, all you got to do is say, hey, when was the last time you went into a hospital and just went down the hallway and started healing people? Because if you haven't done that, you don't have the gift. Because these guys were that. They were healing people um, easily. Uh, it wasn't hard um, for them to do that because God had given them the gift. So we don't, we don't believe that that's still going on. Um, but of course God can do it. Um, of course he can. Um, I, I had a miracle. I'll tell you about that another time. But I, the Lord did something in my life that I knew was miraculous. It happened instantaneously. It happened as a result of my asking Him to heal me. Uh, and it happened, uh, I mean, I, it was so obvious. The pain disappeared just like that. And I had had it before and it wa I wound up in the hospital. It's pancreatitis. And uh, the next time it happened, I, I, Lord God, please. Boom. I felt this heat. I'm, that, that's me. That's why I say I don't deny the fact that miracles can occur. It's just nobody's out there with that particular gift, healing, or you'd see it all over the place. You'd be on TV. Not, not like, you know, the guys doing these crazy things, all orchestrated on television. I'm talking about you'd see secular TV stations following these guys around. I know that person's been crippled for years, and that guy just, you know, he'll, you'd see it. It'd be obvious. Okay, regeneration. How are we made right with God? How are we forgiven? All mankind are sinners by imputation, nature, and by choice, and are therefore under God's condemnation. Those who repent of their sins, last week I told you a little bit, uh, I prefer the word repentance being repent of their rebellion. Um, they're turning from their rebellion against God and saying, I'm, I'm willingly placing myself under your authority. I want you to take my, control of my life. And that results 
in people walking away from some of their sin. It did for me. Uh, without even knowing what the word repent meant, I knew that God had done something miraculous in my life. Um, so, but that's the Holy Spirit. Um, he, he helps people repent of their sins, turn away from their rebellion against God, and trust only in Jesus Christ as Savior. They're the ones that are regenerated by Him. And we believe that salvation with its forgiveness of sins is imparting of the new nature, it's, uh, it's, and its hope of eternal life is only by God's grace. We cannot earn it. We cannot contribute to it by moral living, acts of self-sacrifice, church membership, communion, baptism, any other work. Um, I had a guy tell me the other day, I think I might have mentioned this to you, hadn't sinned in five weeks. Um, I, I, I love the man. I just, just have gotten to know him, building a relationship with him. That was not the time for me to say you just lied. Uh, but I will have that opportunity, and I want he's trying his best to earn salvation. God bless him. He's trying. And I want to be able to say to him, let's think about the cross. Let's think about what Jesus did. And let's think about what you're saying. You're saying, as you're looking at him at the cross, dying, thorns in his head, bleeding, crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yelling, it is finished, meaning accomplished. You want to come along and take some of your self-righteousness and drape it across the cross. Is that what you're saying? Do you understand how ridiculous that is? You have just made a mockery of what he did. That's what you've done. And there's a great verse for that. I use it all the time for my friends who are trying to earn their way to heaven. Galatians 2.21, commit it to memory. It's not long. I do not nullify or make void. King James, frustrate. I like that. I do not make void or nullify the grace of God. If righteousness comes by keeping the law then Christ died in vain. Christ died needlessly is another way to say it. And that's what I would tell my friend when I get an opportunity. Um, in fact, he just texted us, Lynn. Did you see that? I sent it to you. Yeah. Yeah, the Lord's got his attention right now because he's battling cancer. Um, and he's using Lynn as a resource. She's a cancer nurse, or has been. She just retired. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, we hold to a reformed view of salvation. Um, explain that in a minute. Uh, others who held to this view of salvation are, um, we're in good company. Jonathan Edwards, William Carey, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, MacArthur, Sproul, Moeller, many others, many others. And this means that we teach the biblical doctrine of election. Um, and what we mean by that is election is the eternal act of God in which He, in His sovereign and good pleasure, and on account of no foreseen merit in those who are His elect, chooses certain persons to be the recipients of His saving grace. Now, why do we say something like that? Because you in your sins are dead. You're dead. Uh, we went to a, um, a funeral recently. You can't go up to that casket and scream, get up, do something. What are you doing? They won't respond. Why? They're dead, just like you in your trespasses and sin. If God doesn't awaken you, you're not getting awakened. It's not happening. And John 6:37 says, all that the Father gives me, Jesus said, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Two verses later, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then in verse 44, just a few verses later, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And there you go. And so we believe that, that your salvation, if you're sitting here in this room and you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you call yourself a Christian, it's because God has done a work from beginning to end. He saved you, He awakened you, He gave you new life through His Spirit, and He will take you to heaven. And there will be no one in heaven going, I had the good sense to come to Christ. No one, because you didn't. You were dead. All of us who are in heaven no boasting, and that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not even the faith is of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works. Why, Paul? Otherwise, everybody would be in there boasting. I got here because I was my friend. I haven't sinned in five weeks. Now it's been ten weeks. I... No, there will be no boasting in heaven. Christ did it all. Ephesians 1.3, again, on the, reform, on, on the reform view of salvation, meaning God did it all. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There it is. Before you were born, before the world was created, he chose you. Praise him, right? So do we witness? No, well, of course not. No, that's ridiculous. Of course we do. We open our mouths. I put these in my pocket today. I carry them wherever I go. Why? Because I want to be an instrument used by God to do this very thing. Before the foundation of the world, Doug Hayward was going to stick a, a track in his pocket, give it to Anna Marie at McDonald's. She reads it in Spanish and decides, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to believe in him. Did I do that? No, but God used me. It's wonderful when he's using me, right? I mean, it's a wonderful thing. He uses people and he uses the word of God. He uses the gospel. That's how he saves people. That's his preordained method. So witness, share your faith. Tell people what he did in your life. You don't have to be a theologian to do that. And we got those tracks right over there in that track rack. Grab a bunch. Um, Here's what I say. Um, I love Jesus. Uh, this will tell you about what he did for you. I hope you'll read it. How hard was that? And I've never had somebody say, no way, man. No way. I'm not doing that. Never. Take it back. One guy pushed it back across a McDonald's table, <laughs> which is my office. And, uh, and later, as we were talking, found out that he was... Uh, actively involved in sin. He was 75 years old, sleeping with all sorts of women. Um, obviously, he didn't want to believe that. Uh, it would have cramped his lifestyle. His love of sin pushed that thing across the table. That's the only, thing, only time ever that I've had somebody say no. So it's not hard. I love Jesus. Uh, this will tell you what he did for you. I hope you'll read it. Okay, thanks. I'll read it. It's not hard. The church, well, which we've already done. We've gone through the church, what it is. Um, and uh, we believe that God has laid upon the members of the local church the primary task of building up the body of Christ through the dual activities of evangelism and the edifying of those evangelized. So um, evangelize, equip, evangelize, equip, evangelize, equip. And when, when we say equip, we mean make them more like Christ. That's what our duty is. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. And then the ordinances, uh, we believe there are just two, and that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, and we believe that baptism should be done uh, in, in water, in the name of the triune God, and we believe it is a believer's baptism. We have allowed those who have come from other churches that are infant baptized, uh, if, they've been in, if they've been sprinkled in a church as a believer, we're okay with that. We're okay with that. Um, but if they haven't been uh, baptized in any form or fashion as a believer, uh, we ask that you be baptized. So that's something I want you to consider. To be a member, you do have to be baptized. Um, if you're thinking, as we've had many say, well, I was baptized when I was 13. Ah, then I walked away from the Lord for 15 years. Uh, I, I think it's good. If your conscience is bothering you, get baptized. Uh, baptize, baptism as Mark Dever said, it's the easiest thing that Christ may ask you to do. Um, he, he's going to ask you to do some hard things, uh, especially in this culture as it gets worse and worse, darker and darker. I mean, you guys could, some of you could lose your jobs, right, uh, over standing for Christ. Hard things are coming. Uh, baptism is not one. It's just a matter of obedience. And I had a guy tell me he didn't want to be baptized because he was a Christian for 25 years and he's embarrassed. Uh, what is that? Pride. I said, man, you got to get past yourself. Um, he's still not baptized. you got to get past yourself. Um, this is an easy thing Christ is asking of you. Uh, so we, we baptized uh, Jerry Christensen last time, 85 years old. Um, he didn't care. 
uh, he, he just got up there and told his story. Uh, so if you haven't been baptized, we would ask that you do be baptized. We will talk about that. We have one coming up, uh, the food truck night. There's going to be a number of baptisms. So if that's something that's on your heart, um, I don't think it's too late. might be, but I don't think so. You want to contact um, Alex Massimiliano. He's in the He's in the app, the church directory. Um, so don't delay it. Don't delay your, your, your obedience if it's been a while and you're just embarrassed. Then communion, the Lord's Supper. We believe the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ for commemoration of His death. It is our belief that these ordinances should be observed until the Lord returns. Jesus said, do this, what? In remembrance of me. We have fallen memories. We need to be reminded often. And those point, we do it, we try to do it once a month. And we do it for this reason. We're remembering Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because we forget and we live our lives. And Jesus says, don't do that. Do this in remembrance of me. We do not teach that the elements of communion become the literal body and blood of Christ. We do teach that the bread and juice, the wine, symbolically represent the willful surrender of the body and the blood of Christ in dying for our sins. It's symbolic but it's extremely important. And we do use juice, we don't use wine uh, for a number of reasons. Um, one of which we, want, we don't want, to want our brothers and sisters who are uh, struggling with alcoholism and they're having success, we don't want to, we want to do that. Um, so we, use, we try to use juice. We try to practice this on a monthly basis. Um, so that's it for this week. Is there any questions that you have for me? And again, if you do, I mean, if there's something, we had, uh, we had a guy who said, I, I really have to talk to you about this reform thing you're talking about, you know, Jesus. He said, I, I believe I, I made that decision. It was on me. I did that. And he and I sat down over uh, an Egg McMuffin, and we walked away agreeing to disagree. That's okay. That's okay. Um, and he decided this was not the place for him because he didn't know if he could you know, I'm, I'm hoping he comes around and understands, my brother, you had nothing to do with that. Uh, you're giving yourself way too much credit. Um, they do appeal to our will. The Holy Spirit does appeal to our will for whoever, um, uh, for God's love of the world. He gives his only begotten Son that whosoever will. Of course, the, the, will, the will is appealed to, but it's Christ. If, if Jesus said, if, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. So... But all that to say, if you have questions, I'm available. Um, all of the elders are available. Please, uh, about any of these doctrinal issues, please come and talk to us. We'd love to do that. Any questions? Okay. Let me close in one more prayer. Looking for hands. No hands. All right. Lord, thank you for this time. Um, and thank you for your word. You know, we plowed through this pretty quickly. But I never want to gloss over what you did uh, for each of us individually. Um, you uh, quickened our minds. You awakened us to our need. And then um, you reminded us that you took our place. We are and will be uh, forever grateful. Uh, we'll praise you now and we'll praise you in eternity. Uh, thank you for these dear folks. In Jesus' name, amen.